Welcome to the Jamoti Podcast. We are all surrounded by amazing coaches and leaders. So let's get an inside look at not just what they do, but how they do what they do. After all, becoming the best versions of ourselves is Jamoti, just a matter of doing it. Coaches, the Jamoti Podcast is sponsored by 3 on 3 Hoops Hub. 3 on 3 Hoops Hub has run over 350 3 on 3 basketball leagues for kids since 1997. 3 on 3 is the ideal format for players to get a lot of opportunities, work on all skills and positions, and have fun with their friends. Whether you want to build your program, raise some funds, or start your own business, you can bring 3 on 3 to your community and do it like an expert by learning from the best with 3 on 3 Hoops Hub's free 90-minute training. You can register at the link in the show notes. So when I ask you about one, what's one thing that makes your program different, you know, the cool thing is, is you can really draw from uh, a few different places. You can draw from when, when you were coaching or, or, or your, your teams that you've had. You can also draw from, you know, the basketball immersion uh, uh, program that you run, but then also maybe from uh, some great leaders that you've talked to. So what does make, what, what does make a program different? Well, as you said, I mean, from, I mean, the basketball podcast in particular, having, you know, 200 plus conversations with coaches from different levels and around the world. I mean, like, think about that just every day. And I I frame it for you as this, is if I had a team, it'd be really hard to do that because it's almost too many ideas and too many things that make you think and too many things that make you go, is there a better way? So for me, it's more, you know, an accumulation of all this knowledge without having to direct it specifically to one team. So I think that helps me refine it in a way that, say, a coach that's in the moment, especially in the season, has a harder time doing. Because it's really hard to add or subtract during the season, and nor should you necessarily do that a ton. You know, you got to go with what brought you there and what you believe in and your philosophy and some of those things. So for for me, what what makes what I do unique now is just, again, the the diversity of information that comes my way and then the diversity of information that I then try and make practical for coaches. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's really what's made Basketball Immersion, and I, I'm assuming Basketball Podcast, a brand for people to go to because it's not just a, a, you know, a content dump. It's, it's, it's content that has purpose. It's content that is aligned with evidence-based ideas. And it's certainly content that is practical and applicable for a coach because, uh, you know, again, I wanted to create a one-stop shopping area for coaches because I know how hard it is. <laughs> Matt, you and I are in any other coach at coaches. I mean, there's almost, I don't know if I was a young person nowadays. I always say this to Alex Ram and Reps from Basketball Immersion. I don't know if I was a young person nowadays, if I could function. There's just too much information, too many things that you can access you know, online that it's like, wow, like I, my mind would blow up probably. So I think I'm grateful for this point, having gone through the process of coaching and now being able to amalgamate that information for others. That's such a great point. Like, and, and so what do we do coach? Because I've actually had a, a coach contact me, a friend of mine that started going through, I'm, I'm way early. You, you mentioned you're, you're 200 plus. I'm, <laughs> I'm just in the forties right now and, and really learning on the fly. I'm, I'm just a high school coach learning how to do this and enjoying talking hoops with others. But he he said, he said, Matt, there's just so many good things that people are doing. How do I, how do I do it all? Like, how do I add, what do I know what to do? You know, what's kind of your advice for a guy that, you know, goes through the list of guests that you've had and all the, the materials that you have. And it's just feeling overwhelmed with what's out there. 
Well, I think it all connects back to your core, you know, and I think coaches like no matter, you know, probably with the exception of maybe just a brand new coach, most coaches have a core of things where principles of offense or it's, you know, concepts on defense or it's their core values and those things. And, and by and large, certainly we can shift those things. Certainly we can add or subtract to those things. But by and large, I'd say that's our consistent structure. And I'll give you an analogy that's similar to teaching offense is that I believe, even though I believe in freedom and creativity for players, I do believe that that starts from structure. So let's say I'm teaching them a structure, a spacing template, say like the two-side fast break. I'm going to teach them the template, but then gradually what's going to happen is we're going to move from that structure to less structure. So structured to unstructured. And that's a huge goal of that process that we go through on offense. And then with that, when I connect that back to what you asked, for me, it's like, okay, I have this core, these core values or these principles of play, and I believe in those, and that's my structure. But from there, when I learn all these things, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to get a little less structured and unstructured at times as I collect this information. And then what I'll do with that information is gradually I'll add and subtract. And, uh, you know, I mean, you and I, we're, we're old enough to know lists. And it's like, you know, you start with a big list and then you gradually subtract and then you gradually subtract and then it gets down to the most important things. And that's really the process that I go through basically every day that I learn. Mm. And only add the most important things. And it could be something like a new idea, or it could be something in terms of how you or another coach phrases things. And I would say that's the superpower that I've been blessed with, is that ability to be able to secure phrasing and say, okay, that's just better than how I say it. I like <laughs> and now I'll adapt that and I'll adapt that. But you do have to know, you do have to know, like you mentioned, your core and what what style of play or what type of uh, and, and style of play that works for the players that you have, but also that you believe in that gets you excited, that 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 joy that you have from teaching freedom and creativity with your team. Your players just feed off of that. And I've just seen in myself, like I, I listen to coaches, I go to clinics, and, and what they're doing just makes so much sense, and it looks so good. But then I've got to be careful not to try to add too much in because simplicity is where a lot of this, where we're talking about creativity and where it, where it lives, in my opinion. Well, and that's absolutely true. And uh, I give, you know, it, it, wisdom simplifies, but is preceded by messiness and struggle is really how I would say it. Like this, this wisdom that we ultimately get to as a coach or as a player or as a person, it's, you know, the goal is that it's simple because wisdom really in the end is what that means is it's simple. Yeah. <laughs> it means something to us and, it, and it's very purposeful and all those different things that come with it. But that's always preceded by messiness and struggle. And I think coaches sometimes, I think one of the struggles they get into is they try and skip those steps. But the messiness and the struggle and the confusion, that's all part of the process. And I think about all the way back to my school days, the projects that gave me the most trouble were the ones that left me with the most learning or the most meaning because I had to struggle and I had to fight for my learning. And that's something that, again, I encourage coaches to consider when it comes to their players. We don't want to cheat them out of those opportunities because sometimes we can structure them so much, not just with, say, an offensive structure, but also with our words and our teaching and our lessons. Like you and I, we're really good. Like we can give coaching clinics to our players. But we cheat them out of their opportunities for the messiness and struggle, which leads to permanence and leads to their solution instead of our solution. So, you know, as a simple thing, I mean, I just encourage if you teach an offense, once your players know the offense, just encourage them to go off script. And that could be a segment of practice. That could be 
a day of practice, but gradually just encourage them to go off script because that's as simple as it gets from going from structure to unstructure. And that's going to make your offense better. Now, again, it's a buffet. Not every player can go off script or, you know, because that's a high school situation. You right? know what, you little three. Timmy, little Timmy tried a few things. <laughs> yeah, like you got two or three players that are coming off another season, basketball. Yeah. They're just good athletes to play basketball. Yeah, they don't get the same. They don't get deep the same at the buffet as the players that are basketball players. Mm. And, and that's a part of it, too. And that's sometimes misconstrued about what we're talking about in terms of freedom and creativity. Not every player earns that because not every player is a full-time basketball player, especially when we're talking at the youth levels. I think that's a great reminder, even for coaches that maybe they're they're not as much they're not teaching uh, more of a conceptual offense, but they're it's more of they have a list of plays that they love and that's their go tos. But I used to direct for PGC, and one thing we would always tell our our players is, uh, even though you're running plays, don't turn your brain off. Continue to look and hunt for opportunities or advantages. I think that's a reminder for us coaches, even like even if you don't want to go the the route that I feel like you've gone. And I know I have a uh, we we teach a, a structure, but within that, guys, there's just possibilities. And it's a canvas that you can really find your way on. And, and to me, it's the most fun. But to encourage your players within the plays that we're running. Be have the freedom to break it off and to see an advantage and to go for it. What are your thoughts on, on that? Basketball decisions supersede basketball plays. Basketball decisions supersede basketball plays. That's a simple phrasing that I've come up with recently that I think just, again, nails that for me and nails it for players to be able to understand that at the end of the day, a decision will, will that we want decisions. We want decisions that lead to advantage. Now your principal plays, say if we're talking about offense, but same thing on defense. I want decisions on defense. And I find we're too structured sometimes on defense as well. Mm. Um, so freedom on both ends comes from that structure. But then once they got that structure, creating this unstructure really leads to, you know, this ability to be able to say your decision supersedes the structure. And uh, let's give an example on offense. Okay. You catch the ball. You have an advantage, say it's a shoulder to chest advantage on a defender, even though you're supposed to make that next pass to run the play, you see space and you can phrase it however you want. But we would say if you see space because you have the shoulder to chest advantage, attack it, right? We want to create that advantage. We created the advantage. Now we have the advantage, take advantage of advantage, and then everyone plays off of that. And that's where I think, you know, the play after the play, whether this is penetration reaction, post reaction, offensive rebounding reaction systems, those are almost more important than the actual initial play. And that's a big part of what we're trying to share in terms of what you said, trying to bring that home for coaches. I've, I've, all, I've heard of so much and I've thought about too much structure on offense, but you said something a second ago. I've really, I don't think I've ever thought about too much structure on defense. Can you can explain that a little bit more? Like, where do you see that and in what situations? Well, so many situations. I mean, let's let's be honest. The defense, and this is an old uh, Chuck Dalyism, I think, originally, but the defense doesn't break down in the help. It breaks down in the recovery. Well, recovery is messy. And the problem is, is if we can get really structured at the point of the ball, okay, we're one pass away in help. You know, you're in this perfect position. You're in this perfect position. And that's fine when it's just this shell scenario. But in a game situation, the offense creates an advantage. We have to take away that advantage. And most of that has to do with the offense tries to create space. We want to take away space. So that's where defensive decision-making comes in. And, you know, we teach – it's the same concept. 
say we teach early in the year, we're trying to teach perfect rotations to our players. As we progress, we try and talk to them about there's no perfect rotation. Mm. It's the first person that talks is right. And the first person to gets it, get there tells the next person what to do. And it's this kind of defensive decision-making that I, I believe has always made our defense a little bit stronger because, you know, instead of this perfect structure, you've got to just overcome, you know, the offensive advantage. And that's really a big side. So uh, advantage drills, like any type of advantage drills, four on three, for example, those teach defensive decision-making. I don't know, Matt, are you spending a ton of time in advantage drills telling your – like stopping the defense and telling them, hey, you screwed up. You should have done this. <laughs> you know, there's no wrong. It's like you're screwed if you don't just compete. Yeah. You, know, you got to find a way. Figure it out. Figure it yeah. out. Don't give yeah, up. Keep moving. Adjust. Totally. totally. And that's what good defense is, to be honest. Yeah. Again, I mean, and that's from the NBA on down. You'll see coaches like they may not admit it because everyone wants to have like this perfect defense. And we always talk about pack line, this perfect defense. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> What happens if they get past the initial help? Yeah. Then it's in the recovery. And that's that's for all defense. So Shell always looks good when the offense isn't moving and they're only <laughs> moving the ball around the perimeter on a, after one one thousand. That's that's when Shell yeah. looks really good. Hey, hey man, I'm not anti Shell Joe, but I'm right. anti staying there. Yeah. And that's the problem. I think coaches stay in Shell too long. Like Shell is Shell is great for that initial you know structure. Terminology, that, you know, get yeah. your terminology out. Yeah. 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 But after that, I mean, it's like, you know, let's, let's go, let's play a little bit more like shell. Let's go one rotation. Now it's live or just create the scenario that you got to work on and work on it. You know, those type of things. But what you said about your on those advantage games, we are, we're all, I mean, two on ones, three on twos, four on threes. Like we, because of the offense we run, we live in those spaces quite a bit, but I've never thought about that. We are teaching defensive principles from that and and probably or not just teaching it our players are going through them and learning how to adjust how to see a need and fill a need mm-hmm. instantly and so that that gave me a lot of freedom that you mentioned that because i i i love valuing time for these small-sided games but then in the back of my mind I'm like well we still have all of these defensive checklists that i have to get done maybe i'm doing them in that time you're you're doing them more than you realize, especially yeah. again, like this two-way coaching, two-way teaching type of concept. And that's the one advantage that I say about playing more basketball in practice is that, and by basketball, I'm saying offense versus defense because basketball transfers to basketball. Like, I'm not sure if you're, you know, on-air defensive drill, closeout drill transfers much to basketball beyond maybe, again, communicating your language or your needs. But what we know is playing basketball transfers to basketball. So this concept of two-way teaching, and even if you're focused on one area, say offense more than the defense, you're still getting meaningful reps. And you're most importantly, you're getting perceptual reps. Like your defenders are getting perception reps of what do I perceive? What do I decide based on what I perceive? And then what do I execute because of that? You know, and that's really important. And, uh, you know, that's why I can't encourage coaches enough to play more basketball. One, players enjoy it. And two, it does connect these things for you. Coach, are you saying that it's okay for our players to have fun in practice? That's okay? You know, and we can define fun how we want to define it, but like smiles are okay. And by the way, like when I'm coaching at camps, especially in the summer, like when I'm traveling around the world, like I have to tell kids it's okay to smile Hmm. because they've been taught, you know, unintentionally, I believe most of the time that basketball or sport is really serious. serious. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's like, we have to create this psychological safety for them to be themselves and to be able to have fun. And, and again, it's this balance between intensity and comfort, right? Like, yeah, we want intensity. Yeah. We want you to play hard, but can't you do that and still enjoy yourself? Well, I think so. I think competition is fun. That's why most players are playing still basketball or a sport at the high school level is because they like competition. And then I'd say the second area that is fun is seeing themselves improve. And we just we just simply don't spend enough time on that as a coach about noticing when a player improves. And it could be from bad to okay. It could be from okay to good, from good to great. And we know those steps are a little harder as you get better. But just how much time a week do you spend noticing that your player couldn't do something as well last week and now can do something better this week? I, I think that's where personally where sometimes practice plans can get in the way for me. If I am so if, if I have these rigid times in this long checklist that I have to go through, I, I will be fine. I find myself, this is a few years ago, I've I've gotten away from it more. Uh, I found myself really not even focus too much on <laughs> what's on the floor more of how's our time are we getting through this can, can we move on are we good can we go and and then i i can't imagine how many of those moments that you just talked about that i missed uh being a slave to the plan or moving on for moving on sake so here's what i would write on my practice plan and maybe just this is my practice plan is you're okay and you belong so that would remind me every day to tell every player that you're okay and you belong in some context and that my first interaction with a player on the day I'm going to coach them is not a coaching moment. It's something about, hey, those shoes are really cool or, you know, or something about, hey, how did the test go? Like it's something non-basketball because I want to value them as a person. And then obviously uh, there would be something on there about noticing progress. And it would be those three things every day that I just want to do for every player is I want to notice progress and something they couldn't do, but they can do a little bit better. And it could be just a quick short burst and say, hey, Matt, like you're so much more balanced on your closeouts, keeping the ball in front, you know, than you were last week. Boom, move on. But they now know that you value them. They belong. And also that you're noticing that their work is leading to improvement. And isn't it that that our, that's ultimately our goal beyond winning and losing, obviously, is developing people, but also that your players can connect. That's what we worked on. Like for me, if I spend all my time in practice connecting for a player, your hard work is leading to this. Then won't they value hard work and we don't have to talk about it anymore? Because mm. they know it leads to something. And too often we just say hard work and you know work hard. And well, what are we connecting that to? Yeah. And what if what if in thinking that way too, we become uh, more fun to be around? And you know, we we have we have we enjoy practice more ourselves because with that shift in your focus. You're really looking for the positives that they're doing. But I could, because I think so many, I mean, especially early on when I was starting out, my eyes just were darting around and looking for negatives for mm -hmm. things that I have to hit right there. That's a big shift, though, for a lot of people. It's definitely a big, big shift, but you know, it's, it's so doable. I mean, we can, yeah. we can all do it. And I think intuitively we all want to do it. And I think again, like coach, coaches, I mean, there's there's been false narratives about coaches perpetuated for years and that's that intensity trumps everything 
right? Our intensity, the player's intensity, that will solve all problems if we just work harder and we do things more. And, you know, if you've read a lot of Eastern philosophy or different things like that, I mean, it's a big difference between let it happen and make it happen. And uh, too often we consider let it happen giving up, right? But that's not it. It's actually relaxing. And uh, we try and frame it for players too. And truthfully, for me as a coach, I have the same struggles you just talked about. I still do. Mm. That I'm too intense and I have to calm myself to be a teacher rather than a coach. And that's a big thing. But I tell players all the time, offenses plays played best at 70%. You know, it's not played best at 100% and 110%. I would never share that as a narrative. Like it just doesn't exist. You play better when you're relaxed. Wow. Play at 70% on offense. Maybe, maybe it's 80, 90% on defense, you know, in terms of phrasing it. But for me as a coach, I'm a much better coach at 70% than I'm 100%. And uh, that's just a way of kind of framing it. I'm not sure if that's actually true in terms of those numbers. So nobody go question those numbers. Make up your own. But, but for me, that sense. helps me understand. It makes sense. It makes sense. You go 100% on defense, you're probably fouling. Totally. <laughs> you go or you're making mistakes. Offense, you're over-pursuing. You're the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, and, and what are the moments I regret most as a coach from a year this past season? Probably the moments when I was going 100% on an official or 100% on one of my players, where my wife, who does our book, after the game goes, Matt, you're a, your face that one time <laughs> when you were looking at that kid. You know, those are those moments I wish I could, I could take back. So what a great nugget there, Coach. Thank you. Thank you for checking out today's episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your fellow coaches, and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamoti Podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.